You're listening to Regen Reports for Puma. Would you pay a premium for a better wage? Chances are, something in your wardrobe is the work of a migrant worker. We can find migrant workers in Thailand, in Turkey, Malaysia, in Europe, in the United States. So they'll face different risks depending on where they're going. For them, often the road to better paying work is rife with obstacles, middlemen, and debt. But it shouldn't be that way. I'm Amina Shaquille, and I'm on the student committee of the Fair Labor Association. I really appreciate the importance of the lived experience, something I honed as a child of an immigrant laborer. My dad lived in Pakistan until he was old enough to travel alone, after which he was forced to come to the U.S. for work. When I was growing up, he moved around a lot for work. I didn't see him much, but I got a sense of how his efforts were going based on how much he could help out my mom. Sometimes it was enough, sometimes it wasn't. His entire existence in America has been navigating the harsh reality of being an undocumented foreign worker, relying on others for support, unable to travel outside the U.S., or pursue consistent wages. My father's story isn't unique to migrants to America. It's the story of countless people around the world, and it touches all of us, directly or indirectly. In fact, chances are, something in your wardrobe is the work of a migrant worker. For them, often the road to better paying work is rife with obstacles, middlemen, and debt. But it shouldn't be that way. Today, I'm going to be talking with Shelley Hahn from the Fair Labor Association about the responsibility the fashion industry has for the workers they employ. Thank you for joining me. Um, can you tell me what you do at the Fair Labor Association? Sure. I'm the Chief of Staff and Director of Engagement. Those are two hats that I wear that have slightly different meanings within our organization. Chief of Staff is mostly someone who keeps the organization running smoothly and efficiently, but my Director of Engagement hat is really more about focusing on how we can bring workers and worker voice into our organization. Right now we're talking about migrant workers in the fashion industry. So. Who are they and what kind of challenges do they face? So migrant workers are workers who generally have traveled from one country to another to get a job. And then a lot of times they leave their country because they can't find the type of work that they want, where they are, if they might have an opportunity to get a higher paying job somewhere else. And so they will often be recruited by what we call recruitment agents who will introduce them uh, to a job in another country and then help them get through the paperwork that's needed to do that and to introduce them to a factory. We can find migrant workers in Thailand, in Turkey, in Malaysia, in Europe, in the United States. So they'll face different risks depending on where they're going. Choose the example of Bangladesh to Malaysia. So you've got a worker that's coming from Bangladesh and they're given a job to work in an apparel factory in Malaysia. And they show up, maybe they were told that they were gonna go work in a technology factory. So they were excited that they're working in some high-tech industry, but they end up sewing goods in this factory. So that's a risk for them. Second, another risk is that before they even left, they probably paid the recruiter a recruitment fee. Maybe that's six months of their pay, maybe it's a year worth of their pay, but they're doing it because they think that over the long term, if they work there five years or they work there four, that they're gonna be able to make more money. And then maybe they show up at the factory and 
they're shown to a dormitory where they're going to have to share a room with 15 other people. And it's also possible that the factory owner may keep their passport. So that means that they can't leave when they want to. And so essentially they're being held there. Not only they have debt to the recruiter, but then the factory owner has their passport. So there's so many risks that migrant workers can face when they're there. And so what we want to do is to really address all of those risks one by one and make sure that migrant workers are empowered and that they are going to be making the money that they should be making. What is the Fair Labor Association doing to tackle this? We are created by three different interest groups who are looking to tackle this issue together. What we do is we get together and figure out what kind of standards need to be put in place and then what types of actions we can take to, for example, affect change. Not every country where there's manufacturing allows migrant workers. We know which countries this happens. And so therefore we can ask companies to take additional steps to make sure that workers are gonna be treated well. What's the role of brands like Puma in all of this? They are the ones who are the consumer with the factory. And so they have a way to influence the factory. We've got a whole group of brands like Puma who are really committed to making sure that workers are treated fairly. And I'll give you a concrete example around migrant workers. So it's the norm for workers to have to pay a recruitment agent to get a job. And which is to me just insane because we're asking the lowest paid worker in this whole supply chain to pay to get their job. I don't know about you, but I've never paid to get a job. I would be like, why would you want me to pay for my job? You want me to come work for you. And the factories absolutely need these workers, right? But because they are easily exploited because they don't have the power, right? They are being asked to pay these fees. So what we've done is that we want to flip that. We want to change the industry standard to be that the factory owners, the employer pays. So this is called the employer pays principle. So what does that mean? Okay, it means basically three key things. One is that the, the worker will not pay a recruitment fee that the employer will pay to get workers to come into their factory. And then also that they'll know what their contract is before they leave home. They'll know what their job is and they'll know what their expectations are and what they're gonna face when they arrive. And then also that they're gonna have full freedom of movement. So those are three things that we have done as part of what we call the commitment to responsible recruitment. And Puma has signed on to this commitment. And so what we ask companies who sign on is that they meet minimally these three standards. And actually we just recently added a fourth requirement and that is that the, the contract and the terms of their employment need to be in the language that they can understand. And so we've got 80 plus brands that have signed on to this so far and we're working to get more. Another way that factories work is that they have multiple buyers, right? It's not just Puma buying from a factory. They might be 25 other brands. And so if Puma's the only brand saying, we want the workers to be debt-free, we want the workers to have their passport, we want the workers to know the conditions of their employment. If it's only Puma, it's possible the factory will just say, well, none of my other customers care about this. So you can go find another factory or just be quiet about that because we're not going to do it because I have a lot of other customers. We want every single customer working with that factory to be asking for the same things. And then that's how we change the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And the factories sourcing or supplying multiple companies is a good point because Rana Plaza, there were a dozen Western brands that were sourcing from that factory that just collapsed. Uh, Rana Plaza is, a, is an incredible reminder of the responsibility 
that brands have to work closely with their factories to, to keep workers safe. The Fair Labor Association is headquartered in DC and while you have staff in several countries, there's no way you can have somebody in every factory around the world. How do you get an accurate picture of what's really going on on the factory floor? But we have a couple of different ways that we do that. We do have staff in key sourcing countries that can keep on top of what the trends are. You know, for example, in Vietnam or in Turkey or Guatemala or El Salvador, we really want to know what's happening with the regulations. We do about 100 plus audits a year with the, the member companies that we have. How do you make sure your audits get accurate results? And I'll admit that this is very subjective. It is. It is. I would say that from a Fair Labor Association standpoint, how we work is, first of all, we train and work closely with the auditors who are doing the audits, right? We give them a template for the audit, but we also want them to feel empowered to go beyond the questions if they feel like there's something that they need to further investigate or there's something they need to do. So. That's one thing. You have to start with a really good audit framework and a good auditor. Next, our audits usually last like three to five days, depending on the size of the factory. And, and actually, this is something that, you know, sometimes controversial, but all of ours are announced because we're, we're going so in-depth with the factory, looking at their documents and looking at everything that they're doing that it's it's really hard to hide things. And then we also pair that with both on-site or off-site interviews with workers to understand what's going on. Those types of interviews are super important as well. Um, you know, we have to make sure that, that they feel certain that there's going to be confidentiality. And then finally, I think one thing that I would like to see more, but FLA is already doing, is that we publish the audit. So what are the challenges here? I think the biggest challenge right now is that we still don't have everyone and every employer not charging the fees to the workers. The problem is it's not the full industry yet that's on board. And the brands are a huge part of making that happen, which is why Puma's efforts around this are, are really important because they are a big player. I think another problem is that, you know, a lot of times the information around this is not great. Audits are not necessarily going to give you the full picture. Another challenge to addressing the recruitment fee issue is that a lot of times this can be a hidden problem. Factories themselves may not know that workers paid a fee. There have been instances in the past where recruitment agents have charged both the factory and the worker. And so they're making money from both sides. And so brands have to be smart and they have to dig deeper and they have to make sure that they have correct information. We've talked a bit about the role of brands. What about us consumers? What can we do? Consumers to me are super important in this equation because consumers can vote with their wallet, right? Because I would say, unfortunately, um, a lot of the surveys of consumers show that they really care about the climate change. They really care about how workers are treated but they're not willing to pay for it. What brands want to know is that if I make worker protections a bedrock of what I do, that consumers are gonna value it. So we really need consumers to speak out and say, this is something I value. And if you do this, I'm going to reward you for it by buying your product, you know, if I like it anyway, right? <laughs> so brands really need to hear that. Not only you care about it, but that your purchasing decisions are going to be influenced by brands behavior. I'm reading a book right now called The Day the World Stops Shopping. The title alone speaks to just the influence and significance of consumer input. I remember learning in one of my classes that my generation, we care the most about how important corporate commitment to sustainability is. And so I think moving forward, it's going to be cool to see 
what civil society does in this area? I think as a consumer, I get confused though. How do I know what I'm supposed to buy, right? There's, you know, where's the information I need? And in FLA, we are working to help provide more better information around that. And certainly the first place to start is like the list of companies who work with us. And, you know, Poop is one of them. But we need to provide better information to consumers. So stay tuned for that. But I think that it also, if you look at Puma's sustainability report, which has a lot of detail in it, and I don't know, maybe not many consumers want to read that much, but it's there. And I think the fact that a company is willing to be transparent about what they're doing, that makes them accountable to the consumers. You know, you can ask Puma, you've said this in your sustainability report, I want to learn more. This is how brands know that people are taking this seriously and that the work that they're doing on this does make a difference. Do you think there's a reason to feel optimistic? I do. I, I think that it's important for me to show up to work every day feeling optimistic about this. I do think that the consumer role is really important here. I think the investor role is really important. We're asking companies to radically change their business model. And Puma is not the same company it was before it joined the FLA. And it's taking this seriously and they're having to change the way that they work with their factories. I like when I see products. Like, for, for instance, my mom got me a pair of socks that said, with every pair of socks, one is donated. But I think we have to also acknowledge that there's no way to know that their initiative is actually meaningful unless there's something to report or to show for it. And so transparency and reporting on these things and monitoring, making sure that companies are like actually committing to the things they sign off on is, is really key. I'll turn the table and ask you, what would make you feel more confident about the socks that you buy? or the shirt that you buy either. yeah. Maybe if there's like a QR code on the back that I could see, oh, this is our code of conduct. But of course I have like a little bit of background in business and human rights. So I have an idea of what that looks like and I can appreciate that not everyone might have foundation of what a code of conduct is or what it's being implemented. And so I think just making it accessible too is also just like both a challenge and a goal. That's great. All right, we're gonna work for that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I want to say thank you for having this conversation with me. It's been enlightening from the perspective of somebody who is actually working with this on the inside and who shares this care that I have for fair labor practices. Yeah, it's been really fun. I feel like we covered a lot of ground and I think there's a lot of things that I'm also taking away from the conversation and look forward to the next time. Thank you. I think we've covered a lot audits, recruitment fees, working conditions. One final piece of advice. Just remember at the end of the day, the people who make your clothes and sneakers are human, just like you and me. And they deserve the same dignity as you'd expect yourself. So demand that from brands. You've been listening to Regen Reports for Puma. If you liked today's episode, please share it with your friends. That's the best way for us to spread word about how fashion is becoming more sustainable. There are 10 episodes about different aspects of the fashion industry, from women's rights to climate action. Find them all by following Regen Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Puma publishes all of its progress, challenges, and setbacks in its sustainability report. You can find the 2022 report online now by going to about.puma.com. There's only one forever. Let's make it better.